From Wyoming Public Media, this is Human Nature, real stories where humans and our habitat meet. I'm Erin Jones. For our last episode of the season, it's a special annual human nature tradition. We like to honor the springtime when animals of all kinds come out. This time we'll get deep in the sea. Here are two stories about orcas, otters, and seals. It was this primeval energy in the air of predator and prey. John Dornellis was a North Carolinian who needed a change. But when he moved to Alaska, things got a little wild. Every day I would look forward to what's going to happen next. And at night I'd get home and I hear rumbling outside. I go downstairs and there's like a 12 foot tall grizzly bear there. And then at night, the sun never really goes down when, you know, at the peak of the summer and you walk out at two in the morning, you've been working all day and and here's the most beautiful dusk sunset with a gold hue just still in the sky and everything is purple and green and blue, like deep, cool colors with the day's inversion layer of humidity creating clouds in every valley. And the fireweed, which is like this bright reddish, purplish weed, is blossoming all over the place. And there's a moose. You can see the moose from 400 yards away. And you can see the breath in the coolness of the night air while there's just a little bit of stars in the sky. I was a captain for Coldwater, Alaska. I would pilot 32-foot landing crafts. It's an aluminum boat. They have to have aluminum boats up there because of the temperatures. And so we would do water taxi work, wildlife trips, spearfishing trips, and freight deliveries. The main job was captaining and shuttling people back and forth, showing them animals, that kind of thing. We'd see harbor porpoises, sea otters, you see them every day. Tons of moose, you see moose all over the place. Um, It's actually super cute when the calves are first born. They're like these wobbly, spindly-legged, doe-eyed critters. Some of the birds are like common myrrh, various species of puffins, seagulls, we see seagulls, (laughs) and bald eagles for sure. I, I started doing like this whistle chirp thing where I'd get the eagles to kind of talk back to me. I actually had a passenger one time I was taking them to go and do a wildlife trip and they wrote in one of my Yelp reviews that I could speak Eagle, which was pretty funny. And uh, so bald eagles were one of my favorite. I'd see them almost every day. I'd see bears all the time. You start learning how to differentiate rocks from bears from a long ways away. So you can go and show people black bears walking along the beaches at low tide. So lots of black bears, saw a grizzly bear way too close for comfort at one point humpback whales and orcas transient orcas as well as resident orcas the main difference between like a transient orca and a resident orca transients are transient they tend to eat more of like the warm-blooded stuff seals sea lions that kind of thing a harbor porpoise the transients tend to look a little bit smaller and usually the males have a slightly more curved dorsal fin And then you have the resident ones, which tend to eat salmon and that kind of deal. 
that males have a much more vertical dorsal fin, and they tend to be larger. It was early morning. I had a pickup that I had to go and do in Halibut Cove Lagoon. We have like a specific tide where we can pick people up there. You figure every six hours the tide's going to change. And there's times in Alaska where you can have nearly a 30-foot change in ocean levels there. So places that are perfectly navigable at midday at 6 o'clock are dry ground. So we were going in early morning when we had a tide window to be able to get in and pick our passengers up. And on the way in, we were heading directly east and um, there was a rising sun coming up, like a really beautiful gold color coming off of the mountains, the mountaintops where you could see the evergreen trees, like a light blue in the sky, and the beams of light pouring through the mountains in like the, uh, the haze. And as we're going in towards the sun, I could see these spouts going up because the water particles in their exhales will capture light. I was on one landing craft and then Chantrell Major, she's another captain, she was on the other landing craft. I radioed to her, I'm like, Chantrell, are those orcas? And she's like, yeah, I think those are orcas. So we pull into Halibut Cove. We were pretty early, so we decided to just stop the boats, take them out of gear and park about 200 yards away and just watch the orcas. So we come in and park the boats. We go out in the deck of our boat and just kind of admiring these these animals and all of a sudden I see the orcas moving around there's a big male and then a female with a calf as I'm watching these whales I see this little head pop up and keep in mind I'm still looking towards the east so the sun is behind so I see the silhouette of the orca and I see the silhouette of this little black ball poke up and I'm like that's an otter head what in the world and I yell over Chantrell, I'm like, dude, is that an otter? And I'm filming at this point. And the otter head drops down and pops back up. And then it dropped down and popped back up. And it sees my boat. And I just watched this wake moving right at the boat. And it's from the otter. I've never seen one swim this fast before. So he swims straight to my boat. And then he disappears around my port side of the boat. So I yelled to Chantrell, where'd he go? And Chantrell says, he's on your transom, the back of the boat. So I ran back to the back and I'm filming this thing. And right as this otter is kind of shaking the water loose, the orca comes and breathes right behind the back of my boat. It's one of those things you can film it, but you can't perfectly transfer the feeling and the energy that's in the air when you experience something like that. And this male orca, which chased this otter right to the boat, I'd seen this same orca a couple of times earlier on in the summer. And the only other time that he came right to my boat was when I was by myself. And I see this orca coming by and I turn the boat off, take it out of gear, and I'm just sitting there watching him. And he does a 90 degree turn and swims right at my boat, turned his belly up, and was like tail slapping and then went underneath my boat like almost scraping his belly against the underside of my boat came up on the other side kept tail slapping while he was upside down i was just talking to him like hey buddy how you doing 
And, you know, and that was kind of the end of that experience. And to have the same male orca be that close was incredible. When I saw this whale going belly up to my boat, the feeling was playful. There was an atmosphere of playfulness in the air. The feeling was welcoming and friendly. I wanted to jump in the water and like, you know, play with this, this animal um, as big as he was. When that same orca came up behind my boat and was chasing this otter around, the feeling in the air, I felt like a field mouse on a basketball court with a red-tailed hawk circling overhead. That's how I felt. It was like this deep sense of predation in the air, and I, I felt very low on the totem pole um, in terms of how high up I was on the food chain at that moment. Not that I felt like, you know, this whale's trying to hurt me. I never felt that. It was this primeval energy in the air of predator and prey. And the intensity of that moment is something that I, I can't put it into perfect words and I can't translate it in a way that could get anyone else to feel that the way that it felt for me at that moment. My hand was gripping the side of the boat. That was one of the most influential parts of that entire experience was just that feeling that I had. As that orca comes up right behind my engines, there's something in its mouth and Later on in the day, Chantrell had actually come back to show some people the orcas, and the orca came to her again and presented a skinned sea otter. And the size and so on, it looks like that that is what was inside of the orca's mouth when it came rolling by. Nobody really wants to talk about kind of the reality of nature and how cruel it can seem to us sometimes, but the way it looked to me is the orca was actually taunting this other otter that jumped onto my transom with a dead otter, be it a mate or a baby, I have no idea. So it's possible that this male whale was just playing with it or it was teaching his calf how to hunt, I have no idea, but it's pretty clear that there's something in his mouth. And what that kind of gives a little bit of light to is why did this sea otter keep jumping on and off of my boat? The otter kept ducking its head into the water, jumping back in and then jumping into the boat. It looked like the otter was looking for something. And I think that that otter was looking for its buddy, its playmate, its partner, its pup. The reason why I know that otter was not not as scared of me as it was of that orca was because that otter climbed all the way up into the front of my boat and took a break at the end of all that and would not get off of my boat and I'd be like come on bud let's get back in the water like because I don't want to be changing what is already happening in nature but um he would not get off my boat he wouldn't jump off for like almost a half mile until he's long, long away from the orcas. That same family of orcas, they came up and uh, paid us a visit on another wildlife trip. 
we were out parked and we were just kind of watching the orcas and they ended up kind of veering towards us again. And these animals are not dumb. You know, it's my belief, especially with, especially with being a free diver and a spear fisherman, there's a tremendous amount of energy that's transferred when you're in the water with an animal and they can sense intent. They can tell when you're a threat or if they want to come to you, you let them come to you. You never chase them. You never try to alter their course and so on. So whatever energy that the passengers and that I had on board, it was welcoming enough that they came right to us again. And uh, one of them like almost put his dorsal fin touching the front of the boat as he went by. And we had a couple kids in the boat and they were just losing their minds. They were so happy to see an animal like that up close. And especially because it was all three of them. It was the mother, the calf, and the male. These are transient orcas. The name is there for a reason, transient. You see them maybe once, and then they're gone. They make their moves, they find another place to hang out for the day, and then they keep going. And they were the first orcas that I saw over the summer, and they were some of the last ones that I saw over the summer. They were there all summer long. We have this whale talk text thread, and there was, at the best, wild guesses as to what was going on, which added a whole element of fun to the to the experience because it's just like, man, how cool is this that we study and we research and so on, and for all of our discoveries, nature just surprises you, and it leaves you speechless, and you're left just wondering, getting to admire and be thankful for the experience. That was John Dornellis. John is still captaining boats and he also teaches free diving. We have a link to a video of the otter escaping the orca on our website. Now let's sail on over to the other side of the world. Our general rule is you need to be uncomfortably cold for the seal to be comfortable. Kim Townsend-Smith and Ellen DeVos work at Seal Rescue Ireland. Keeping seals safe is what they do, but they do get weekends off, or so they thought. So my name is Ellen. I've been with SRI for three years now, and now I joined the board, which is very exciting. My name is Kim. I'm the Community Engagement Manager at Seal Rescue Ireland. I've been here for just over two years. Seal Rescue Ireland is a conservation organization, basically. We have two specific types here in Irish waters. So we have common seals and we have gray seals. And they're actually pretty divided on where you can find them, but you can find them all around the coastline, which is pretty big since we're an island. So we rescue seals from across the whole coastline, and that's injured uh, seal pups or orphaned. The goal for every seal that comes through our center is release. We are the only seal rescue centre in the Republic of Ireland and we're based in Courtain and Wexford, which is in the southeast. Um, but we are covering the entire coastline, so any sick, injured or orphan seal pups get called into us through our 24-hour rescue hotline. So we have a rescue network of over 700 people across the country. It really is kind of a nationwide team effort. So what we do is we run rescue network trainings where we train people on how to identify a sick, injured or orphan seal. Um, so someone will pop out, they'll make an assessment by sending through photos and videos to our animal care team. And they decide whether or not the seal needs rescuing. 
Um, if it does need rescuing, then they'll ask that volunteer to pick up the seal and begin transport to our centre in Court Town. Because the journey can be quite long from different points in Ireland, we usually set up like a relay train throughout the country. So you could have four or five people involved along the way. A lot of coordination, but a really big team effort. When the seal then comes here and you know, like it's been passed over by like multiple pairs of hands, like mm -hmm. all people that wanting to help in their own time with their own means. And then the little pup gets to the center. Uh, it's a fantastic moment. When I was part of the rescue network, I got called for one seal in my area. So that was back in 2017, I think, that I did that. You know, we're taking care of seals at our center every day, but we're not out there rescuing all the seals off the beaches. So it's definitely something that we haven't done in a while. I think you've done one more recently. Exactly. On uh, New Year's Day, after a big party, we got a call about a seal um, on a beach close by. So it made sense for us to go. So everybody was quite tired, but we hauled ourselves up the beach, up the dunes quite a tall walk um, down to the seal and yeah we also brought it back to the center and this was actually a bit of an older seal so it was over 25 kgs which is not the best to drag back <laughs> through the sand and towards the car but you know we made it. A few months later on February 20th Kim and Ellen were enjoying their weekend when a rescue call came in. So in SRI a lot of us live in the same house one of the guys in our house was on the rescue phone for the day and he got a photo sent through by one of the volunteers out saying that a seal was in distress somewhere in um, County Wexford. So looking at the pictures, it was entangled in some type of netting and stranded out on the coast. So it definitely needed to be picked up. It was very clear that there was no one close by that could get to them in any short amount of time anyway. It was actually our weekend, so Kim and I were both off and I was just sitting there waiting for someone to be able to go pick up that seal because it's like a nerve-wracking moment if nobody can pick it up. So yeah, we looked at each other and we're just like, how about a road trip? Kim and I jumped in the car. We took a big box with us and a towel because that's what you need for any type of rescue. And we started to track down. I think she's about an hour and 15 minute drive from us. So we tried to move quite quickly yeah. to make it down to her. <laughs> We had an amazing person from the community down there that stayed with the seal for close to four hours, I'd say, because he wanted to just make sure that the seal wasn't going to go back into the water or be harassed by someone. We pulled up and we found this person and um, he brought us to where the seal was. We had this big box with us, as well as like wearing high-vis vests because we wanted to be very careful. It was getting darker, like past five at that point. And we found this little pup and unfortunately, this gorgeous little seal was out on rocks with some plastic bottles around it and just debris in any kind, as well as like entangled into netting. And she was very quiet. She was very still until we came closer with the box. And then she tried to snap at us a few times, which is always a good sign. Like we want them to be feisty. We don't want them to like us. We moved the box really close. So me and Kim moved together. I went from one side of the seal and she went from the other holding the box. And I herded the seal into that box. In a very clumsy way, especially on rocks, it wasn't the easiest. So Kim was holding the box on one side to make sure that that wouldn't tip over. And then I was gently pushing her little butt and her tail so that she would move. But instead of actually going towards the box, she tried to like keep coming at me. So it took us a few tries, but then eventually she was trying to get away from me and moved in towards the box. 
And then we proceeded to carry her towards the car and into the boot. And as we were hauling her into the boot, we saw that she was barely moving. She was not doing well at all. You could see the netting was cutting into her neck quite um, severely. There were wounds and um, she she wasn't doing well at all. So in the car drive back to the center, which was another hour and a half in the dark at that point, we just kept looking around and checking and making sure that the, the pup was still there and that she was doing okay and seeing if there was anything else that we could do to make her feel comfortable which meant that we were very uncomfortable because it feels like it's very cold. <laughs> which means that in the middle of winter, we were driving with our windows open, the volume of the radio was all down. It was pretty chilly. So um, <laughs> as Ellen mentioned, it feels like it'd be a bit cooler. I do have a thick blubber layer because I have to stay warm in the Irish Sea. So it's very important in the car that we don't have the car too warm so that they don't overheat on the journey. Our general rule is you need to be uncomfortably cold for the seal to be comfortable. So we were driving back um, uncomfortably in February in the rain, uncomfortably with the windows down. But it was, you know, we got her there quite swiftly and she was a little bit quiet in the car, so we were a little bit concerned. But once they got her into the center and they got the nasty fishing line off her, she perked up straight away, which is brilliant. So a big sigh of relief. We work with seals every day, so you're pretty confident around them, but it was definitely really nice to be able to get out and actually do a rescue ourselves too. And especially because there wasn't anybody else available and she was in such a dire situation. At the same time, it was also slightly nerve wracking. Like mm -hmm. we knew we had to be there before sundown and we knew we had to like get her to the center as soon as possible because she was in pain and she was getting very quiet. Even though like it was a magical moment bringing her back to the center and seeing her do well afterwards, we were working against the clock. So the usual procedure when a seal comes to the center is that we weigh them first to just give us an idea of what we're working with and we estimate their age to know how malnourished they are basically. And we prepare a solution which is called electrolyte, which is like a salty, sugary type of water that we also put vitamins in and we warm it up a little bit so that it's not super cold when it hits their stomach. And while that is warming up, we give them a full body exam. So we check their teeth, we check their ears, we look if their nose is crusty, if their eyes are hydrated, if there's any wounds on their body. So those are all things that we go through to make sure that we know exactly what is happening with the seal and that we are completely aware of their body condition. Of course, as well, checking where the nylon thread was wrapped around her and how a best way of getting it off. So we have a fantastic animal care manager, Haley and she knew exactly what she was doing, so she was very swift about it, and she tried to remove the netting as fast and as painless as possible. It was very like thickly cut into her skin, so it was quite of a, a struggle to get it off. But they did get it off, and then we tube her with that ELS solution that we were heating up a little bit before that. Yeah, and then we just give them a few minutes, a few hours to like get at ease and like get the stress down in their bodies as well. After the SEAL's initial checkup, they named her Freya. And from there, Freya's rehab went smoothly. It was really lovely to see once Haley got the fishing line off her, she perked up straight away after we'd been so concerned about her in the car. And she did what we call a happy banana pose. <laughs> so when SEALs are content, they tend to kind of assume this pose where their head and their tail is up, and we call it a happy banana. So she did that in her little... Um, intensive care unit immediately once she had the pitching line off so she's already feeling a bit better and she also actually passed a few stones 
so she must have been really struggling with the fishing line. Seal pups put on weight really fast and they has the highest fat content in the animal kingdom, just over 50% fat content. So they need to build up that blubber layer so that they can survive in the cold water. For pups, anything that gets tangled around them can become constricting really quickly because they're gaining weight really quickly. So she had the very nasty cut, but she was perked up straight away. She really flew through rehab to treat wounds like that. We use a few different techniques. We actually use Manuka honey on wounds like this because honey is a natural antiseptic, promotes skin healing, as well as they get antibacterial spray. And this spray is blue, like bright blue, so it tends to dye their fur a bit. So she was a very colorful seal while she was with us. But she was just a lovely personality. She, from that first day, once those initial issues were kind of taken care of, she healed up really, really well. She showed really great behaviors, exactly what you want to see when a seal going through rehab. She was released on the 23rd of April then, so she wasn't with us for too long. Seals on average stay with us between three and four months, and Freya flew through rehab in like two months, mm -hmm. which is amazing. She was a very active seal and she knew what she was doing from the start. So it didn't take us long to teach her how to eat fish on her own. From her ICU box, we moved her into kennels when we didn't need to be as much hands-on anymore. She just kept being her active little self. Release is the best part of rehab. Even though you know that you're making a difference by rescuing them, seeing them go back out into the wild is fantastic because our whole team has put in so much effort to get her there and to get her there healthy and fast. So packing her up and seeing her go to the beach and then seeing her hop into the water, that's a fantastic moment. We do a lot of surveys as well. We give our seals, we give them a blue tag at the end of rehab. So in case they pop back up, we see them uh, and we know that they're doing well. So whenever we're out anywhere, we're um, keeping an eye out for Freya and um, seeing if we can spot her. Yeah, and any of our, our rehab seals, they all have a you know an individual ID number on their little flipper tag. So if you have a good enough camera, you can zoom in if you spot a tag and actually get that ID number and find out which seal that is. And we've been lucky enough to spot a few other of our rehab seals. So it's really nice full circle. So hopefully we do spot Freya at some point as well. We love seals. Seals are really cute, but that's not the only reason why we save them. Seals are part of an ecosystem and they're part of biodiversity in general and marine biodiversity in specific. If their numbers would go down and we wouldn't have as many anymore, that means that the fish that they feed on, they would just overpopulate because there wouldn't be anything keeping their numbers in check. And that means that the fish that they're feeding on, they would get depleted, like there wouldn't be anything left, which means that then those bigger fish as well wouldn't survive because their food source is gone. Seals are apex predators here in Irish waters, so they're the biggest and baddest that we have around the coastline. That doesn't mean that they are part of a really important ecosystem and just keeping the, the seas healthy. That was Kim Townsend-Smith and Ellen DeBoss with Seal Rescue Ireland. You can follow Seal Rescue Ireland on social media for lots of cute seal videos. You can also adopt a seal to support their rehab like our producer Greg did with Freya. Freya was luckily released, but we have so many more cute faces. We're just about to come into the common pupping season in June now, so we'll have an influx of very small, fluffy baby common seals.
This is the last episode of the season. Follow us on social media at Human Nature Pod to get updates on what's next. I'm Erin Jones. This episode was produced by Greg Ronco. Editing help came from Charles Fournier and Sarah Ann Leverett. Anna Rader is our digital producer. Our theme song is by Caught a Ghost. Human Nature is a production of Wyoming Public Media. It's human nature.